Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Forum's Matzav podcast, the podcast that brings you all the latest updates and analysis on the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. I'm Eli Koaz, Communications and Digital Director at IPF. And I'm Noah Schusterman, the Communications and Research Fellow. This week we want to discuss an issue that is slowly becoming less apparent in the media, the Syrian humanitarian crisis. As the crisis enters its seventh year, the figures are overwhelming. 13.5 million people require humanitarian assistance, including 4.5 million trapped or besieged in hard-to-reach areas. In late August, the UN released that 540,000 civilians living in 11 besieged locations are denied freedom of movement, access to adequate food, water, and health care. And this week, we have a very special guest talking to us from Detroit, Michigan, Mr. Shadi Martini. He is the director of Humanitarian Relief and Regional Relations to the Multi-Faith Alliance for Syrian Refugees, the nation's leading interfaith response to the Syrian crisis. Their work was recently featured in the New York Times, where it was also revealed that they transfer supplies to Syria with the help of the IDF. Shadi, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Shadi, can you please tell us about the Multi-Faith Alliance what does the organization do and how does it operate? Well, the Multi-Faith Alliance is uh, now a, um, a, a group of about 90 uh, mainly faith-based organizations and uh, secular organizations, mainly faith-based. And it has actually grown from uh, the beginning of the organization started actually as a Jewish response to the Syrian crisis, uh, but it has evolved into uh, multi-face, interface organizations working together to uh, help Syrian refugees and war victims. So in general, the multi-face alliance, what we do is we mobilize the interface response to the crisis. We try to advocate for uh, uh, sensible and human refugee policies. We try to cultivate the groundbreaking partnerships in the regions, and that's one of them that we will be focused on today. And we try to raise funds for the humanitarian relief and to quite create awareness of the facts and need opportunities for positive action. Uh, and Shadi, you're a Syrian uh, refugee yourself, born in Aleppo, a city that saw such terrible uh, destruction during the, the war, um, and you're a former member of the Syrian opposition. What brought you to the Multi-Faith Alliance? And maybe tell us what you can about your, your story. Yes, I was uh, born in Aleppo, raised in Aleppo, and I was uh, running, a, actually, I was general manager of a hospital in Aleppo in 2011 when uh, uh, the Arab Spring breached uh, Syria and events started unfolding. And I was, uh, I, at the beginning, I wasn't active politically or anything with any opposition uh, uh, figures, it, it was just, I was just observing what was going on around me, and then I see the reaction of the government and the brutal crackdown on the people and how they were deprived of their ability to get uh, medical treatment, and that really upset me and uh, made me with my friends and colleagues to try to help people who are being deprived of uh, uh, this right. 
and uh, this developed into a network where we would build a secret location between three people and by then there was areas that were being under siege were deprived the access to medical um, uh, medication medical equipment or consumables so we would try to send them either by smuggling or by uh, uh, you know, get them through normal channels under the cover of our facilities or our partners' facilities. And that put me at odds with the government. And in uh, 2012, I was forced to uh, leave uh, my hometown and uh, my neighborhood. And I continued my work uh, through the region trying to help Syrians. That put me in contact with some uh, Israeli NGOs that wanted to help uh, uh, Syrians inside Syria. Was, it was a very, very strange uh, encounter. I wouldn't imagine it. Uh, if you ask me about what you have been working with Israeli, it's not now the idea of like six years ago, I would tell you you were crazy. Uh, but that what happened out of this uh, big humanitarian crisis became this uh, really interesting uh, cooperation that led me to even cooperating with the IDF to try to bring aid inside Syria, and that had happened in, uh, started in 2016. Did you feel conflicted to work with the IDF? I mean, I think, I, I personally, I've never been to Syria, and I assume most of our listeners have never been to Syria, but when we hear about Syrians, is usually that they dislike us, or not only Syrians, but I would say broadly the Arab world. Um, how did you feel? I don't know. You said you were. It was. It was weird and surprising. But did you feel there was an inner conflict as well, or was it obvious that if they're willing to help, then you're gonna cooperate with them? Oh yes, there was. Of course, there was a conflict. You know, uh, people in Syria are brought up to hate Israel and uh, Jews in general. By the way, you know, because they are they're seen as the people people who are supporting Israel and the existence of Israel. And Syrian government is not a religious government. It's a, it's, it's, it's a non-religious government, but this is indoctrinated along the lines of Arab nationalism. So we, this is the norm in Syria. So this is how we're brought up. We, we're seeing Israel as the evil that's trying to kill us, trying to uh, take our homes, take our land, so we have to prepare to fight them. Yes, this, this is how I was indoctrinated in most of Syria. So it was a, it was a very weird situation, but because of what happened to Syrians in the last six years, and the way they saw their uh, presumed uh, people who are going to fight Israel instead of fighting Israel, turning their guns on their people, you know, killing their people, uh, bombing our cities. We saw, for instance, Hezbollah that was portraying itself as a, a liberator, uh, trying to suppress us, kill us, Iran also. So all of this uh, coming together, and we're seeing this, and we're uh, listening to what we used to learn, and then to see Israelis coming to try to help you, that was a very weird situation. For me personally and for a lot of Syrians, and now of course it's, it's, it's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Syrians that have experienced what I have experienced. And it was a, it was a life-changing moment for us. It, somehow we, we started perceiving our enemy list to be different. The, the, before, every, if you ask every Syrian number one enemy was Israel, now if you ask a lot of Syrians, 
Israel might not even be on the list of enemies. It will be totally different people because of the treatment that have they endured from these uh, actors like the Syrian uh, regime government, like the militias that came from Iran, like the militias came from Lebanon, Afghanistan, from Iraq, from everywhere. So people now have a different perspective. Of course, not all Syrians, but a large swath of the Syrian population now view Israel in a different light. Are most of the Syrians that receive aid that comes from Israel, are they aware that that aid comes from Israel? And if they are aware of it, is it a problem for them? Or are they grateful and do they do they come to terms with it? So uh, the beginning is always tough because it's a new process. So uh, it, when, when the aid started flowing in from Israel, and that was a year ago, uh, some of the aid was done through Israeli NGOs, and Israeli NGOs would, of course, get their aid from Israel, so it has some Hebrew writing. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, a touchy issue with some residents of Syria, and you have to understand these folks are there, and they're always afraid that somehow the regime will come back, and this will haunt them if they accept it, but they... They had a lot of meetings. They were under siege. They were deprived of everything, food, clothes, uh, medication, education. Their, their schools were being bombed. Their hospitals were being bombed. They had virtually nothing. Very few aid was coming in. So they were willing to accept it, especially along the border. But if you go much deeper into Syria, it was much harder to do that. And this is where our cooperation with the multi-face, uh, sorry, the multi-face alliance, where we have you know, cultivated these partnerships beforehand between Syrian and Israeli NGOs to help Syrians in other areas. So it was just like a natural thing to us. We were, people were already working together. And when Syrians inside and Syrians outside started taking advantage of the Israeli uh, uh, corridor that was uh, open to us by the IDF and the government in Israel, the people on the other side felt more comfortable. They felt that they were dealing with the Syrians. They're not going to deceive them. They trusted them. But we were very clear where our aid is coming from. You know, we are uh, we are passing through Israel, and Israel is facilitating the aid that is coming into Syria. And we had some incidents, but luckily very few. And I was surprised. I, to tell you the truth, I was expecting much, much tougher situation. But people all knew. And people were accepting this aid and saying, we don't care where it's coming from. It's helping our people, and that's what's more important. And we're actually thankful that, you know, we are being provided by quality uh, aid that is coming through Israel. So uh, at the beginning, very few uh, problems. But after that, it was, uh, it was a very, very, very good development. Thank you. Um do you get any backlash though? Like, do you hear from people surrounding you any kind of reference to your work with Israel in regard to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, or has it been muted? Well, well yes, of course you'll hear that. You're not going to change everyone's narratives of opinion. Uh, but uh, to tell you the truth, I was expecting much, much harsher backlash. It was not that bad, especially from Syrians. You know, Syrians were actually, even when, uh, because this work was under the radar for a year, 
it just got published like uh, the front page uh, article on the New York Times and we had another uh, more in-depth article in the Jerusalem Post so it was out there in the open so it was uh, uh, you know there was some but most of the reaction was uh, like uh, they're going to good deed you know thank them and, uh, and that's of course from the opposition side of the Syrian spectrum of course the uh, government side in Syria the regime with its backers from Iran uh, all these groups are of course against it 100% are, are being labeled a traitor but uh, my the, you know constituents that I was approaching were mainly opposition to this uh, government so from them I didn't receive such a backlash and even my community even the people I know I was open about it and never had any issue with anyone and that was really a pleasant surprise for me because I didn't imagine how the transformation of the mindset was was happening so rapidly either people outside Syria or people in the ground in Syria do you think that the day after the civil war in Syria, when everything, when the page is turned on the war, do you think this has the potential to for, for a new relationship between Syria and Israel? Or is this something that's just kind of on the side? Uh, well, it depends who, who has the upper hand at the, the end. If the government of Syria, with its Iranian backers, and everyone got their upper hand, take control of all these areas in the south, then we did everything we did was is going to go away, because they have no interest in having peace with Israel. Their only aim is to have more militias, more weaponization of this area around Israel, and their final aim is, of course, uh, destruction of Israel. This is their doctrine. This is what they were. When talking about, and believe me, this is what they intend to do. They just have a certain way of doing it. They try to build their forces as much as possible until they can, uh, I can do it. If there is another settlement where a lot of people in the opposition are to uh, government and uh, the old regime is out of the picture, I think it's an opening for something new. Uh, but at the moment, there is no clarity of what's what's going to happen. It seems like stalemate in the south. So for now, we are continuing our work and trying to build as better relations as possible and and let the local population see the benefits of this cooperation. And this is our aim: show that you know uh, peace and cooperation between uh, these two former enemies is better than going to war and uh, have the suffering that other communities in the Middle East are having. I have another question that's a bit broader. Um, as somebody who lived through the conflict in Syria, through the crisis, and works on the crisis right now, how do you see things unfolding in the future? Do you have any estimates or assessments of how things are going to, ha what's going to go in the future? Well, it's it's very hard to predict. There's a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of interests. Syria is now theater for a lot of conflicting interests and shifting alliances. Uh, for instance, we're now seeing like uh, a race to to try to gain control of ISIS. So everything is frozen virtually in the south, north of Syria, and everything is concentrating on eastern Syria, where ISIS territory is. After ISIS is gone. 
it's anybody's guess. There's, uh, there's the United States with its allies that wants to have uh, some kind of uh, change. We don't know if it's how much it's willing to uh, take this commitment with its allies. Uh, we have the Russians with the Iranians and Syrian regime, and their long-term aim is taking control of all of Syria. They might say something else, but that's the long-term uh, objective. If you are a Syrian, you lived there, you would know how they think, because this is we've lived through such uh, episodes before, especially in the 80s. So uh, the government in Syria's aim is to take control of everything. Uh, the issue, if it's able to, and if the other players, either regional or international players, are going to allow it to, or they're going to press much harder to have some kind of settlement where the current uh, president is moved out gradually as some elements of the government and the opposition uh, come together in a unity government. This is a very tricky question. I don't see it happening anytime soon because the government of Syria and its backer in, in Iran and Russia see themselves as winning. So why do we need to do the concessions now? It's now to solidify our gains on the ground. So it's, it's a very, very tricky issue. And we will see after ISIS is defeated, what's the long-term plan. Shadi, how would you rate the response and the actions of the international community to the Syrian uh, civil war and the humanitarian crisis? Well, at, at the beginning, it was, it was, it was not existent because everything had to go through the government. And of course, the government was the one that's uh, perpetrating the most of the uh, humanitarian crisis that was happening. But because it's uh, the UN mandate doesn't give them to go through other entities, so it took some time before they started reacting it probably took them until 2013 2014 to start reacting and of course after that there was limited access where they can go through uh, there was uh, certain access through turkey one access through jordan but it has had a lot of restrictions uh, a lot of uh, politics uh, uh, coupled with it so it was not a bad advocate it, it became better then we they faced the issue of less funding from the international community because the Syrian crisis was like in the back page. No one cared a lot of, about what's happening in, in Syria. So um, to tell you the truth, if it wasn't for uh, the, the private NGOs, the private initiatives, private donors, uh, Syrians would have had a much, much worse situation. And until now, it's a very bad situation considering the huge number and the huge need that is needed in Syria. Frankly, do you think the U.S. or the U.N. should have intervened militarily in Syria? Do you have any kind of resentment that that did not happen so far? Oh, well, let me, uh, let me take just a couple of minutes. So There's some background notes here. Okay. So I'll answer you in a minute. Okay. okay. So... Let's start the answer. So in regards to the UN and the US, actually a lot of people in Syria uh, were hoping 
that some protection, especially from air bombardment, would happen, and some like uh, uh, these sieges and starvation of communities won't happen. This is what the type of intervention that they wanted, like the type of intervention that happened in northern Iraq. Uh, for instance, to protect the Kurds, or what happens to somehow to protect the uh, Yazidi minorities when ISIS attacked them. Uh, there was uh, some because in Syria there was an intentional campaign to uh, target uh, civilian infrastructure in Syria. So the government and its Russian backers would uh, target hospitals intentionally, bakeries, uh, schools, so there was would be no civilian infrastructure. And that, that made a lot of people uh, fear of sending their kids to school or had to flee the country. So you have, you know, I have about uh, 3.5 million children that are out of school. And the, and the, the frustrating thing is actually that the United States didn't do anything about that. And this is a very worrying sign because this this is a lost generation without education. It's a, it's a very fertile base for uh, radicalization for because people who are not educated are, are better, you know, uh, affected by radicalization. For instance, we didn't see the UN doing the same thing what it did to the Palestinian refugees, like Anwar. Like uh, there, there was nothing like this for Syria. But the education, education system, education school run by the UN, we didn't have this uh, uh, response. Even though the Syrian population, the Syrian refugee population, is now constitute 25 percent of the world refugee population. That we didn't see this response, we didn't see this commitment. Somehow we saw like we were, you know, the price to pay for other reasons. For instance, the, administ the previous administration was making a deal with Iran, so they didn't want to upset this deal. Uh, the United Nations really didn't think that this is a big issue, it's not going to be that huge at the beginning, then it turned out to be much, much bigger than anyone expected, and the results were much, much higher. It affected the whole world, even Europe, even politics all over the country because of the huge influx of uh, refugees. So I think the U.S. and the U.N. underestimated uh, the conflict in Syria, and it had grave consequences around the world, from the establishment of ISIS to the influx of huge amount of refugees into Europe, to the rise of the extreme right in, in Europe, for instance. That's a result of this whole crisis and the lack of response and advocate response at the uh, correct moment. Thank you, Shadi. Um, one last thing. So for our listeners who who are thinking that they would like to, to assist in the relief efforts, what would you rec recommend them to, to do? Well, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge uh, problem, but actually there are specific things that anyone can do to help people. So if, if, you, if we save one, one person's life, if we have one family, that's, that's a lot because most of the Syrian refugees and IDPs, they contend for themselves, but there are a certain segment of populations that are vulnerable, and this is the, the, uh, the portion of the populations that we tend to target and help because uh, a lot of people can work, can sustain themselves. So what I would suggest is to go to our website, uh, www.multifacealliance.org, and get to the page that is get involved. We have a very uh, detailed 
programs and very detailed things that they can uh, that people can do on a personal level, on an organizational level, or congregational level. We also have developed. We are developing a new program taking advantage of the work that we're doing with the IDF in Israel, where we are uh, launching a program called Adapt Container, where people can adopt a container. We can uh, we get the aid from a local organization here in the U.S., and people uh, would fit in to, uh, to help with the logistics of transportation and delivering the aid to its recipients inside Syria. It's about 5,000 to 5,500. And uh, this would help us in uh, delivering aid and making the aid to go faster into Syria. We have already sent 16 containers into Syria using uh, the Israeli uh, Syrian channel with the help of the idea with the total amount of about $31 million worth of aid. So there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of ways to do it. I encourage people to go to our website and check what all the available channels and ways that they can use to help uh, people inside Syria. Thank you so much, both for talking to us and also for the great work that you're doing. I know that a lot of people are benefiting from it, and um, thank you so much on, the, on, on behalf of all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for tuning in. Um, please engage with IPF on Twitter and on Facebook and follow our Matzav blog at www.matzavblog.com. We won't be having a podcast uh, next week, unfortunately, um, but in two weeks, we will have a new episode. So you'll hear from us then. Mm-hmm.